I heard this joke on, on YouTube a while back. It was so funny. This, this, uh, this preacher was telling this joke and he said, uh, oh, how's, I'll, I'll probably forget the story, but it's like this, this little boy was like six, in this, six years old sitting in the back of a church and his mom and dad were sitting up closer and the preacher was going, um, he goes, he goes, the southern, southern preacher, he goes, what shall we do about sin? And uh, then he would, you know, it was a rhetorical question. And he would, then he would preach a little bit more. And this little boy is sitting in the back. And he'd come back to that. What shall we do about sin? And, um, and the little boy is back there going to himself. He's going, why doesn't somebody answer it? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he doesn't understand rhetorical questions. And, and so the preacher goes, um, and then the little boy goes, if he asks again, I'm going to answer him. You know, and... Um, because his mom and dad is sitting up in front, and so he, he figured, you no, know, his mom and dad wouldn't know it was him, so, so, wouldn't be, wouldn't long before the preacher says, "What shall we do about sin?" And finally, little boy, he stood up. He goes, "You don't know, we don't know. Why do you keep asking?" Isn't that great? But it, it tells a story about religion. Religion does not know what to do about sin. <laughs> but God does. And he did. Lord, we thank you so much for the, for the reality of an anchor that goes beyond the veil both sure and steadfast, a hope that we can bank on and rest in. A new priesthood has come, a new covenant. You, Lord, you have stopped counting our sins. Awesome. Thank you, Lord, for this reality. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be able to hear heavenly things. I pray that you would help me speak as you would speak. I pray that within us, blue skies would open up. I pray that we would see that veil rent and see beyond that veil the place you have prepared for us in yourself that we may always be with you where you are and you always with us where we are we and you and you and us thank you Lord as you said lo I'm with you always even until the end of the world help us see Lord the open heaven the open heaven, that's the inheritance of the saints. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Maybe I should do like Joel Osteen, start with a joke every time. No. <laughs> 
That was just so funny when I heard that. I was like, God, that is so funny. Let's look at Hebrews uh, again. I just wanted to look at some things in Hebrews again. I just, I just, this book is just amazing. Um, I'm really excited about some things we're going to share this morning that I think is going to help us see even more the reality that we have in Christ. And uh, specifically, we're going to talk a little bit, the Lord willing, about the conscience and how to understand the conscience how the conscience works now that we're in Christ. Awesome. Okay, let's look at this. Um, let's go with chapter 9 of Hebrews. Just a quick, quick review of what we shared last Sunday. Remember that the letter to the Hebrews is all about this incredible revelation that God was changing or changed the priesthood. And remember, what, remember why that's important, because priesthood is all about sin. It's all about what, how to handle sin between God and men. Priesthood is all about how to handle the problem of sin between God and men. And the old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, was a priesthood that covered sin, could not take it away. And it was a, it was a, a priesthood that had to offer sacrifices continually. It was a, um, a priesthood that was tied to an earthly covenant. It was a covenant Given the scripture says, we'll see it in Hebrews, that the covenant, the old covenant, Mosaic covenant, was a covenant with the flesh, with natural men, which is why they had buildings made with hands to go to. They had things that their natural eyes could see, like priestly garments, and they had bulls and goats, all things of the earth. This was an earthly covenant. Get in, in your mind this awesome thinking because the writer says several times that this thing that God did in Christ under this new priesthood is not of this creation. It is not of earth. It is an eternal work and that's why we can rest in a work that happened in a place where there is no time and there is no space. Wow. That rhyme. <laughs> Didn't try to do that. But that's that's, that's what's so cool about this. I mean, the, he offered, Jesus offered up himself by the eternal spirit for all sin, for all time, for all people. This is what's so cool. It's outside of time and space. It's a work that happened uh, in the mind of God even before the world was made. For the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. He came into our realm to fulfill in the earthly realm because He had to become a man. Thou hast prepared a body for me. Burnt offerings and sacrifices you took no pleasure in. This covering of sin. This, this copy of the heavenly. This temple which is a copy of the heavenly. God has brought us the real, that's what it means when it says 
The law came, the law was given by Moses. Given by Moses. A thing. It was given by Moses. But grace and truth doesn't say given. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. See, in him is grace and truth. Now, when you see the word truth there, think about this, saints. The scripture says the law is the, sh- or the, sh- the shadow of the good thing to come. The old covenant of law were, were shadows of the good thing that was coming. The word truth, like Clark said the other day, the word truth means reality or the real. So when, when Moses gives law as a mediator under an old covenant to natural men, Jesus himself brings with himself, doesn't give it like, he's, like it's separate from him. It's only in him. Be strong, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the real. I don't give you truth. I don't tell you truth. I'm not a, a, a teacher of truth. I am the truth. So when Jesus came, in him is a whole new reality. It's actually not new. It is ancient. It is what was before anything was made. For that which is made was made by that which does not appear, the scripture says. So the invisible things of God are clearly seen and understood by the things which have been made. So this creation is a, uh, a picture of what is and was before anything was made. Yeah. Yeah, what, when, that verse, when that verse says, for the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world, before anything was made, that means that God predestined in His mind that the Lamb, it was a done deal before anything was made. And it wasn't realized, that's a good question, it wasn't realized until He actually came into the earth. That's right. And what's cool about that, that whole concept is that he all things, the scripture says, Paul got the revelation that, that all things were made by him and through him. All things proceeded from him, for he is the word made flesh. God made all things by saying, let there be. The, the word himself. So if he, the son, who, who made, all things were made through him and by him and for him, if he comes and dies, then everything that followed him dies in the mind of God. So that's how God could destroy everything. All of this creation has been destroyed in the, in the mind of God to be realized in the fullness of time. Wow. You see that? And that's, that's why Hebrews says, this is not a work that has to be done in, on earth's schedule of time and space and daily sacrifice. Otherwise, he would have to have suffered often or every day since the foundation of the world, Hebrews says. See, but the way God did this, he offered himself by the eternal spirit, both God and man. Great mystery. Great is the mystery of our godliness, the scripture says. But God did it. So that all that followed the Christ was plummeted on the cross. See, this is the awesomeness thing of the, of the cross. This high priest, Melchizedek, not only was the sacrifice, but he was the priest that offered the sacrifice. And when the scripture says, when Jesus, when Jesus went to the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. 
Think about this, saints. The cross was the judgment of the world. And that's why Hebrews says that he's not to die often since the foundation of the world, but now at the consummation of the ages, he's to die. He was manifested to put away sin at the consummation of the ages. Wow, what is that? 2,000 years have gone by. God sees the cross as the end of the world. See, that's what Paul meant in Galatians. He goes, I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. It's over. It's so over. It's, it's, it's beyond over. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not just that we've been released from the law. We've been released from the law. We've been released from the jurisdiction of the law. But why? Because the whole earthly realm has been destroyed <laughs> in Christ. You have literally been translated from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, it remains, yes, it still remains for those who are not, who not, are not in Him, who have not believed. But what, this thing is mind-boggling to see that you, have, you and I have actually moved from a place of time and space, of days and holy days, of touch not, taste not. Why do you live as if you're still in the world? Touch not, taste not, holy days, feast day. Why do you still live as in the shadows, as in the copies of the heavenly realities when you have been moved from this realm to another? You sit with him in heavenly places where there is no time. Eternity is in your heart. John says eternal life abides within, you, with us, within us now. See, this is huge. This will literally catapult you and I as this revelation begins to overtake us on the inside of us. This will literally cause you to be so, my favorite word, aware that you walk the earth as one who is not from the earth anymore. Yes. You will not have to put that verse on the refrigerator to get yourself to believe it. You will not have to struggle with trying to believe you're a son and daughter of God. It's the wisdom of God. It opens up within you like the dawning of a new day. You really know you're no longer from below, but from above. You really know my mother is a new Jerusalem above. Yes. You really know you're a papa. You really know you're daddy. As you walk the earth, Abba, see? It's a growing awareness of sonship. It's a growing awareness of your authority as a son. It's a growing awareness of, of you know, identity. We talk about identity, but I'm afraid sometimes we talk about identity and these things, but they're just like other verses on the refrigerator we're trying to get ourselves to believe because we still see ourselves in our sin. See, the wisdom of God is to see that, we, that God no longer imputes sin to the believer. Like Clark said this morning, so awesome. We're not under law, and where there is no law, sin is not imputed. There is no other sin in our lives that need further cleansing. It is, it is the revelation that opens the human spirit. It is the human spirit is joined to the spirit of the Lord, the scripture says, as one now. And when the mind is renewed, the mind is actually catching up with what is in the spirit. That's what the renewal of the mind is. 
It's like it doesn't start with the mind and then you have to, you know, memorize verses and then get your spirit to uh, be what you're memorizing. No, it is. It is. It's a state of being, like Park says. It's a state of being. It's a reality that the light of life, he who follows me, Jesus said, will not, have the, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That means understanding, spiritual understanding of this new reality, light of life. So in union with him as our life, there's a light that emanates from life, from his life, the light of life. And the mind is renewed and we begin to see and believe. As John says, we have come to know and we believe Amen. the love he has for us. And that's for every, all revelation. We've come to know and believe. We have come to know and believe. We have come to know and believe. So as the spirit reveals himself to us and the revelation of Christ, we can say, Wow, I've come to know, and I believe. See? Wow. So it's just so cool. It's just, this thing is so, um, it's so big. It is, it is nothing less than death and resurrection. It's exactly that. When Paul writes those words, it's not, those are not just nice, nice way to look at it. I died and I've been raised with Christ. It's nothing less than that. Wow. When God does something, like Clark says, he doesn't do it halfway. He doesn't, by definition, a creation doesn't evolve. Creation is, let there be light. And there was light. We have been created new in Christ Jesus, the scripture says. Paul says the same God who said, let there be light in the second Corinthian letter, the same God who said, let there be light has also shined in our hearts the revelation of the Christ that we might simply believe and that we might receive the word of the Father, let them be a new creation, a new species. So what's happening in our minds, the renewal of the mind, it's so much bigger. You know, the other day I, was, I called Bill and uh, I, I, I said, Bill, listen to this. I said, ask, ask uh, I mean, or consider, consider this, this, this phrase in the scripture. It says, I love that phrase where Paul he speaks, speaks about the word of the cross. The word of the cross being the wisdom of God and the power of God. Now think about, think about in your minds what, when you hear that phrase, the word of the cross, the word of the cross. Paul talked that about the word of the cross being the wisdom of God and the power of God. What's in your head? What's in your mind when you hear that phrase, the word of the cross? Don't say it out loud. Just think about it for a minute. We've been told so many things that is, you know, it's, it's, it's muddied the simplicity of that power. This is what the word of the cross is, if I can, if I can say. The word of the cross is the message that God has stopped. That's how the Spirit said it to me this week. God has stopped counting sin. That is the word or the message of the cross and that's why it's gospel, good news. God has stopped Counting sin. In this new covenant, 
I'll remember their sins no more. I'll keep a record no more. The very instrument by which sin was recorded was nailed to the tree, the Scripture says. It's not a slate that needs to be cleansed again and again and again as we confess. The slate itself was destroyed. Isn't that cool? God has stopped counting sin. And religion is in the business. Religion is in the business of sin management. Religion is in the business of sin management. Some worse than others. So when you come with a word like that, that God has stopped counting my sin, what does that do for the business of religion? It puts him out of business. Right. It wrecks it. It totally wrecks it. And that's exactly what happened. That's why this gospel turned the world upside down. No religion ever said that a holy God has stopped counting sin. Wow. You see that? It totally turned the world upside down because nobody, remember how the Pharisees would get upset when Jesus would say to, to the woman who bathed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair? and put the perfume from the alabaster box on her feet, which by the way, they smelled on the cross. That perfume was still on his feet, going out in the crowd as he was on the, on the tree. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees got angry and they mumbled among themselves and said, who is he that forgives sins? Saints, this is, this is the point of power. This is the point of power. This is the secret. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They overcame the beast by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony that what he did was finished. Not loving their lives even to the death because religion hated them so much. You see that? This is... It's the simplicity of Christ, yet it's so profound. Like Clark said this morning, it changes everything. God spoke to the prophets. He said, consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Will it not spring forth? Will you not know it? Yes. Jesus said, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. They're quick to believe that, we, that God is holy and man is sinful. But all that the prophets said, there's something on the other side of that medallion in Raiders of the Lost Ark. There's the rest of the story. Consider not the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Ah, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like I made when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they broke. But this covenant and this new covenant, I'll remember their sins no more. I will stop counting their sins and I will be a God to them in sight of them and they shall be in sight of me and they shall no more teach their neighbor 
and their children know the Lord, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest, for I shall teach them within. You need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth and you shall abide in him. Awesome. Yes. You are so dangerous. You are so dangerous. You have in your mind, in your mouth, in your heart, and in your mouth, the word of this awesome revelation that will rock this planet yes. and save yes. people and bring people out of bondage and open blind eyes yes. and wreck religion and destroy all of man's fleshly Babylonian towers that they build to make a name for themselves. I mean, you have such power in your mouth, in your heart. The power of God, the simple good news. If we are bold and don't hold back. I love the Paul's, Paul's passion where he says, I didn't, we didn't submit ourselves even for one hour to those who would try to add to the gospel. Let's look at this real quick and then uh, let's, let's go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. Now when these things have been so prepared, Hebrews 9, verse 6, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship. The outer tabernacle is the section in the temple where the showbread and the candlesticks were. It was the place called the holy place just before you went through the second veil into the holy of holies. The second veil. Verse 7. But into the second, meaning the second part where the Holy of Holies is, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The reason, the reason why it says committed in ignorance is because the Day of Atonement, this is that once a year time when the priest goes in and offers the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. The scripture says, See, all during the year, they have these sacrifices for their sins. Different kinds of sins have different sacrifices, and they're aware of their sins, and so they bring a sacrifice to the priest for what their sins are. But this Day of Atonement was a complete forgiveness for even the ones they, didn't, they did in ignorance, that they didn't even bring a sacrifice to that year because they didn't think they did anything wrong. So this picture of the Day of Atonement is, a, is the closest thing we have in the shadows of a complete reconciliation that has nothing to do with confession of sin or naming your sins or getting it all. It's a complete discharge of everything you've ever done, could have done, and didn't even know you did. Isn't that awesome? And that's the shadow. That's the, sh the shadow. They had that once a year, the shadow. How much more, the writer's saying, that our high priest, after a different order, entered not into a tabernacle made with hands, but into the true tabernacle, the heavenly reality, offered himself up for all sin, for all time, for all people. Yes. Yes. This thing is so done. Yeah. Amen. It's so done. Yes. It's a farce to say that you have to remember your sins and name them in order to stay forgiven and stay cleansed before God. It's, it's the, one of the biggest lies of the enemy. Yes. Absolutely. And it keeps you and I always flesh focus on the flesh and focus on ourself instead of releasing you to Him yes. in a remembrance of Him, not our sins. Under the Old Covenant, there's a remembrance of sins year by year, but in Him there's a remembrance of Him. Fly like an eagle. 
Fly like an eagle. Fly like an eagle. You see? It's like it's, it's a, there's a freedom within you that is, is, is like uh, religion tries to hold it back. I mean, if you could see, if you could see hell right now, if you could see the, the, the evil powers, they tremble at this. They tremble at this. It's so cool. Okay. Okay. Um, verse 8. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place, meaning the Holy of Holies, has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle, tabernacle is still standing. Verse 9, which is a symbol for the present time, because at this time in the writing of this letter, the temple had not been destroyed yet. Right. So the writer is saying the temple is a symbol for the present time. It's going to be destroyed. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. But all these things are pictures of the heavenly reality that the writer is trying to bring out. Verse 9, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Oh, this is awesome. Okay, we're going to go back to the perfect in conscience. Do you realize, saints, we should have a perfect conscience? Yes. We, don't, we have been given a perfect conscience. We're going to look at that in two seconds here. Okay, verse 9, I mean verse 10. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings. You see how this talks about the earth? Regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. Yeah, reformation, I'd say. <laughs> but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation. Verse 12, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place the, the center of everything, the throne of God, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, it was a covenant with the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish. Like Clark said, that's our lamb. Without blemish. That's our lamb. Without blemish to God. How much more will his work cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay, we have a phrase up there that says perfect in conscience. Then we have a phrase that says cleanse your conscience. What is he saying? Look at real quick Romans chapter 2. This is so cool to see this, saints. Contrary to Jimmy the Cricket, don't let your conscience be your guide. I mean, come on. God, there's something bigger going on here than Jimmy the Cricket, let your conscience be your guide. I mean, that's Disney. I know we're in Orlando, but this is so cool. Watch this. Romans 2. Look at Romans 2, please, and look at, all right, first of all, let me just give you a little background. He's, Paul is simply saying here that the Jew is not going to be justified just because they have the law, because the Jew was boasting, you know, that we have the law, we have the, God's got a covenant with us. And Paul says, yeah, that's great, but you, don't, you didn't keep the covenant, you broke the law, so you're, you're not going to be righteous by your keeping the law. And the Gentiles um, are like saying, oh, good, we're off the hook. 
we didn't have a covenant. We didn't have the, and Paul says, no, you're not a hook either because you've got inside of you, the law is inside of you actually from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that passed through Adam into Adam and Eve and all descendants. So neither Jew nor Gentile are off the hook. They cannot, they're, they're, they're both accountable, Jew and Gentile. They have knowledge of what's right and what's wrong and they both have failed miserably. That's what Paul is laying the foundation for. There's none righteous, no, not one. Which, which is what, what Clark was saying this morning. The only way you get righteous is to receive the gift of righteousness. Isn't that cool? Amen. All right, now, now in, in this discussion, he's talking about the conscience here and gives us some insight as to how the conscience works. Now, he's talking about this is the conscience prior to being in Christ. But it's really, in many believers, the same conscience. We haven't allowed the Spirit to bring this revelation to teach the conscience, to bring that perfect conscience to us, to cleanse the conscience, as Hebrews says, we can have cleansed. Watch this, so cool. Look at, look at verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15 of Romans. In that they show, meaning the Gentiles who have this knowledge of good and evil inside of them from the tree, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. All right. The conscience, when we do something wrong before Christ, the conscience in us that came into being at the, in the Garden of Eden when they saw their nakedness, it's all part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became self-aware and so before Christ, when we did something wrong, the conscience would what? Accuse us. That's a legal term. That's a, that's a term of, uh, it's, it's a criminal term. You're being accused. Or if we did, if we did something good, like Clark said, a, an unrighteous man can do righteous things. If we did something good, the conscience would defend us. That's a criminal law term. Defense attorney, prosecutor accuses, defense attorney defends. That's, it's all about guilt or not guilt. It's all about guilty or acquitted. See, it's not just what you did. What you did or did not do is tied to the concept of condemnation or no condemnation, depending on whether you did good or bad. Okay. So the conscience before Christ works in all human beings. And that's why law is good for the fallen race. Law is good for the natural man. Law is not for the righteous in Christ. Law is for those who are unrighteous. The law is, that's why I'm a lawyer. That's why I enforce the law. The law is good because it, it, people who are dead to God will have no life, no light inside of them. The law works with the conscience to deter evil, to hold back evil to some people who have a heightened, the Jew is to have a very heightened conscience of right and wrong so that they would be more um, responsive to civil law and civil, civil
nobility and uh, their nation. Um, uh, but the Gentiles who didn't have the, the uh, uh, incredible revelation of the Ten Commandments, their conscience was a lot la more laxed. They were, they were wilder than the Jew because they, they, did the, they got away with things because their conscience didn't condemn them. So the conscience works with the law, the natural law, to restrain evil. But that's not where we're to live. Amen. You see that? That's why the law is still good. That's why Romans says God has judges and he has police officers and all these things. They bear not the sword in vain. They're there for a purpose, to keep peace so that they don't come and break through your doors at night and take everything you have and kill you. And, because there's fear of judgment in the civil realm. See? And that's what keeps some peace and some civility in the fallen world. That's why when you walk in the Spirit, you fulfill everything the law is trying to do to fall, with fallen man. You know, the, uh, whatever the law says, don't kill, don't steal. By the love of God, you're walking in a different realm. You fulfill all that the fallen world is trying to be harnessed and, her, and corralled in. You just do it naturally as we walk in the Spirit. Because the lawgiver is inside of you. The one who is the author of it. Yes. You see it? Amen. So there's a freedom. There's a freedom just to be and you fulfill all. There is no law. The scripture says there's no law against love. And there's no law against gentleness. There's no law against kindness. There's, of which there's no law such. There's no nothing against. You see what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So in the before Christ, the conscience, when we did good and evil, it was tied to this accusing or defending concept. So what what frees us from this conscience that condemns us? or accuses us, or defends us. Because the defending is just as bad. The, de the defending is self-righteousness. The accusing is condemnation and depression. Okay, so what is the secret? The secret is Hebrews says, because, because God's justice has been completely satisfied, completely satisfied in this high priest, that he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That now, through revelation of the Spirit, we rest in the righteousness of another. Your conscience should no longer be alternately, alternately accusing you are defending you anymore. That's the cleansed conscience. That's the perfect conscience. And it's not tied to your obedience or disobedience. It's not tied to what you do. Jeez. That does not mean that we don't know when we do something that is of the flesh or of the spirit. Now you can know what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit without the conscience accusing you. Why? Because a higher word has come that is higher than the word of our conscience. John said it this way. He used the word heart, but he's talking about the conscience. If your conscience condemns you, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knows who are His. Yes. You see that? Yeah. First John said, 
yeah, I know, this is, this is almost too good to be true. And as you grow in this, sometimes your conscience might condemn you. But don't forget, saints, don't forget my brother, my sister. God is greater than your conscience. Yes. And he knows all things. Mm. He knows that you are righteous in him. He made it so. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So it's not that you don't know what is good and what is evil anymore, but you, you know what is, you're not living by what the knowledge of good and evil anymore, and you're not bound by a conscience that was active before you knew Christ in the same way. If your conscience is still active in the same way before you knew Christ, you do not see that, that you have a cleansed conscience, that you have a perfect conscience. And Peter says this, that baptism is like the flood of Noah and that we have gone through the waters of death through Christ and we have a good conscience by the resurrection of Christ. Amen. So we have a good conscience by the resurrection of Christ. We have a perfect conscience by the work of this high priest and we have a cleansed conscience by this same high priest. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So you can say with all boldness, I have a good conscience. I have a cleansed conscience. I have a perfect conscience because of Christ. Because of the righteousness of another. And yet, sure, still I'm learning what is flesh and what is spirit. But we don't live by the knowledge of what's good and evil, we live now in this union of life, in the tree of life. We live in, in the awareness of who Jesus is. We have come to know him. And John says in 1 John, this is the secret to overcoming sin. For he who has come to know him ceases to sin. What a dynamic. Wow. See, it's him. It's him. It's a relationship. It's him. So now, when we do things that are not like him, the conscience cannot accuse. We actually say, the conscience bows to a higher authority. The conscience cannot accuse any more than Satan can accuse. Your conscience bows to a higher authority. And that's what sets you and I free to learn from our mistakes without condemnation. And we can go boldly to this throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need and say, wow, Lord, I really tried to do that on my own. That's why the flesh was manifested because the spirit is released only through faith. He who believes on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And faith is a function of dependence. Amen. Faith is a function of dependence. So as we learn more and more to live by another, I can do nothing of myself. Jesus said the Son of, man, the Son of God can do nothing except the Father who works through him. We have that same posture in him. As he said, apart from him, we can do nothing. As we grow as sons and daughters of another place, our minds being renewed, that our mother is New Jerusalem above. My daddy, my papa, is God himself. Father, Abba, Abba, Abba. And so I walk with him now without fear. 
And that's why it says now we serve him. How much more the blood of Christ cleanse the conscience that we might serve him. Cleanse the conscience from dead works. Why is it dead? Why is, why, why is the conscience cleansed from dead works? Because if you live in the pre-Christ time in your conscience of the accusing and defending, you will attempt to do dead works to appease your conscience. Wow. The conscience is cleansed from dead works because you are trying to stop the accusation of the conscience by doing. And the conscience is cleansed from dead works when we see that no amount of doing can remove our sin, but only a receiving of the gift of righteousness. <laughs> That's why it says in Hebrews... It says in Hebrews, one of the foundations of this new covenant is repentance from dead works. Yeah. Chapter 6 of Hebrews. Yeah. Repentance from dead works. Change your mind from dead works. And that's why he says later, the conscience has been cleansed from dead works because the conscience is always trying to either, it's, it's always accusing us or defending us whenever we are not resting in the righteousness of another. Now we can still know, I want to be clear on this, we can still know what is like Christ and what is not like Christ, right. but there is no criminal element attached to it. Yes. There is no accusation, nor is there any defense yes. mechanism to justify yourself by your doing. You see that? <laughs> You're totally free to rest, whether you do good or whether you do evil, it's all Him. Yes. So you don't seek the praise of men when you do good, this, this covenant heals so, many, so much mess in us. Amen. I mean, there's so much mess in the human being that is clear, it's cleaned up by this covenant. You're not comparing yourselves one with another. Right. You're not looking for praise and insecure and oh, I need praise. I need to silence this conscience. <laughs> I, need to, I need to hear people defending me. I did good, didn't I? Defend me, please. Stop this voice in my head. Or... Depressed because you're accusing. Ah, oh. wisdom of God. Amen. We are slow to believe. This is awesome. Religion looks at it and says, "You can't just release people from their sin." God says, "Watch me." Amen. You know. And that's why there's joy. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's joy in this. There's freedom in this. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has set us free. And there's a, an endless awakening. An endless receiving. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. We have a sin problem over here and we do everything in the world to get rid of it. I mean, we go to church, we do religion, you know, we, we go to psychotherapists, we, you know, we turn over a new leaf. We whatever. And God is simply saying, if you just believe, 
that I have stopped. I have stopped counting your sin. There's a new priesthood. And I swore with an oath that his work, superior to that of the Levitical priesthood, for Levi paid tithes even in Abraham to this one. If you will believe that I have done it, then we will walk together and you will see me. You will see my face. And when you see my face, you're going to see your face. When you see who I am, you'll see who you are. And no man will take that joy from you. Man, God. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, God, thank you for the impartation. This is, this is from heaven. Thank you, Lord. You received, we received, Lord, your, when you send someone to speak to us, we receive them not as men, but as the Spirit speaking through them that the word might work effectually in them who hear. Thank you, Lord. So awesome. We have this treasure in weak earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. Lord, I pray that everybody at the sound of my voice would receive fully this profound work of our Jesus. After the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, who ruled over the city of peace, God, bring us to this new place. For a new day is dawning in the highlands A new day is dawning in the highlands. And millions, millions will hear and be glad. Amen.